How are you, Melissa? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be back. I always love chatting with you. I feel like we get good conversations going. So We do. Absolutely. I was, because uh, I was talking to a client about attachment theory, too, because I was kind of reading an article back to her uh, that I had found online, because it's still all, you know in my head. I'm like, okay, this anxiety, this, that attachment. So I'm still learning that stuff. But, you know, I was thinking about this um, yesterday because, you know, it pertains to relationships with people, right? Mm. But what about attachment theory and attachment styles relating to things like money or other things that we have we have a relationship with as well? Yeah. Can this be applied like to other things like that? I apply it to other things. I've heard of other therapists that say it's specifically just for your romantic partner, but I don't think that that is the case. People can definitely have insecure attachments to things like money, colleagues, um, their job, family members, friends. Anything, right? And money's a big one. Yeah, money's a big one. Yeah. it's really interesting to see how people relate to money. So if they have an anxious attachment style, they're constantly worried about money, Um, you know, like checking and being like overly involved in um, trying to, you know, figure everything out. Mm -hmm. If they have an avoidant attachment, they're avoiding checking, they're avoiding looking at what's really going on in their finances. So it's really interesting because you can have like an avoidant attachment with money, but an anxious attachment in your relationship. Right. So that's interesting. So you can have different styles relating to your relationships and to money. So you can have maybe like a healthy attachment style with money yeah, and and an anxious attachment style with with your partner in relationships. Yeah. So they're two different subjects then, right? That's why. Because it's not, money is a very different thing. I mean, it's not a person. People are a little bit more complicated. Yeah, but the healing process is the same. So you apply the healing principles to to overall insecure attachment, and then you're going to get, become a more securely attached person to various things in your life. Interesting. So you can apply it to all the other areas too. So that's also something you're going to learn from your primary caregivers, right? If you're growing up in a household where there's always money problems and your parents or whatever are always worried about money, you're going to pick that up as a kid. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah we definitely inherit that for sure. I find that and, interesting. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. No, I just find that interesting. People have seen that maybe didn't have a lot of money growing up. The later on, they come into money and they have a lot of money, but they still have that anxiety around it. Like they're going to lose it or they still have that mindset of, you know, we always say this to people that live through the depression, the older generation. I don't know how many of them are left, but they would always, even decades later, be scrimping and saving and doing all the habits they picked up during rougher times. Yeah. They would still have those habits. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to break those ties. And especially when you come from a certain type of family, it's hard to believe that you yourself can break out of that mold and become different when it comes to money. Right. So oh, that's, that's the work changing that mindset can we do it does somebody is somebody here bossy bossy is that you no (laughs) b-a-s-i-a so i think someone's here i can't see a chat whoever you are (laughs) could you maybe say hello type hello real quick i want to be able to see if i can read the top chat okay this is very odd participants we're still learning here. We're still learning. Yes, we so this is going to be a little bit of rougher on the edges. 
It's Never be done very <laughs> informal, and I will get better at live chat. Hi, hi, Basia, Basia. Can you see it? Can I you can't. see their message? No. You can't. No. Okay. So I'm looking at my browser here. I'm not able to see it inside the Zoom app. So B A S I A. Hello. Welcome. Our first, maybe only participant. We'll get um, some. <laughs> we got some. We got somebody here. Yeah. So welcome. Thanks for coming by. I can I can switch over here to the live chat in my browser. So that's a little strange, but I don't know how I can actually uh, see it here. There should be a way to do it in the Zoom app, but I guess we'll just wing it and do it this way. So, um, all right, we're talking about attachment style. Since we do have somebody here, I don't know if this person knows what we're talking about. Maybe we should go over that again briefly, because I know you've been, you know, we've had chats before, but maybe Mm -hmm. some people won't know what that is and who you are and what you do. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Melissa Basie. I'm a registered psychologist up in Canada. And my specialized focus is in attachment theory and attachment styles, all things attachment. So basically what attachment theory is, it's the study of how we attach to others. And it usually occurs in childhood. And then we take that childhood blueprint and apply it to adulthood. But it's not always that way. You can have a secure attachment as a child. And then through adult traumas, you can become traumatized and then get an insecure attachment style. So Basically, there are there's insecure attachment and secure attachment. Secure attachment doesn't have any subcategories. Insecure attachment has three subcategories. It has anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. So an anxious attachment style is kind of that needy, desperate feeling, where are they, what are they doing, uh, jealousy, that kind of thing. That's that all falls under the anxious category. And you're nodding your head like you see that a lot. I see that a lot. That's probably what most of the reason why people even come to a channel like mine or seek out services like ours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people with a secure attachment style aren't going to be thinking about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> so true. Natural to them. <laughs> anxious attachment is definitely my, the primary people that I would see as well. Avoidant and disorganized don't come for help as much as an anxious attachment style does. And, you know, we say kind of needy, desperate feeling, and that's not to put, it's not to put them down or um, be offensive. It's, these are the types of people that are going to seek out help. These are awesome people. These are people who are going to fight for the relationship and they're strong um, people. They are. They're strong. It's really tough to change. Yeah. It's really tough to try to change. It's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And they're willing, they're willing to change. They're willing to see their stuff and they do see their stuff and they come for help. So I have nothing but respect for an anxious attachment style. So an avoidant attachment style pulls away from the relationship, um, needs space, isn't very good at talking about their feelings, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So anxious and avoidant often pair up. They Mm -hmm. are drawn to each other. And so an avoidance pulling away and an anxious is coming towards, and that's a very painful relationship dynamic. That's interesting because you say they're attached to each other, but it doesn't seem like they would be compatible because if the avoidant 
is sort of avoiding, if I'm understanding this correctly, avoiding relationships, for instance, avoiding attachment or any kind of entanglement, maybe even commitment. Yes. Right. And then here you have an anxious style coming in saying, Hey, <laughs> call me, text me. What are you doing? Do you, you know, uh, probably that, like you said, that obsessive kind of wanting that validation, that feedback all the time. Wouldn't that yeah. drive a, someone with a detached uh, style away? It Wouldn't does push drive them away. Them away. Yeah. But it, but because an anxious attachment style is so invested in the relationship, they are the glue that holds it together. Mm. They're constantly pursuing, they're trying to make it work. They're reading self-help books, Googling, doing all the things, going to therapy, all that kind of stuff. So they're trying to keep the relationship together. A secure attachment style with an avoidant attachment style, they're just going to be like, listen, you're checked out. I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. I'm not into this. Um, Yeah. Are they drawn to somebody with an anxious attachment style? I mean, is there an element of, hey, I do kind of, is there an underlying subconscious kind of, I do want to be in some kind of relationship. I do like the attention maybe. Yes. Uh, could that be a narcissistic type of person too? Maybe they like the fawner or the uh, somebody that mm-hmm. is kind of all over them, but they mm-hmm. like the, the power of saying, eh, not today, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a yeah. really good noticing there. Yeah. Oh. So For how sure. does that, I mean, would you say that is definitely somebody always across the board with narcissism or has narcissistic tendencies? Is that somebody that maybe an anxious person with an anxious attachment style should try to avoid? Yeah. Someone with an anxious attachment style should definitely avoid someone with an avoidant attachment style. They should be looking for someone with a secure attachment style. The only problem is, is that they're not very attracted to people with secure attachment styles. They find them boring. Interesting. Yeah. So with that avoidant attachment style, an anxious person is going to find that very attractive. They're going to try to earn the love. They're working for it. They, they, there's self-worth issues with an anxious attachment style. And so they don't feel good enough. So if they get this avoidant to tell them they're good enough, they feel good enough. Whereas if a secure tells them they're good enough, it's like, yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) It's yeah. like, it's almost like when we say something goes on psychologically with people that if it seems too easy, it's not worth it, right? Mm-hmm. If it comes too easily, too quickly, it's not worth it. So it's almost like if it's difficult or it feels difficult, it's like, oh, that's, that's the little cookie I want at the end, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's going to taste really good when I finally get that cookie. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, you know, if you got a pile of cookies in front, of you, it's like, eh, it's a cookie. I can reach over anytime I want, right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what, it. What is that from a... It's psychological point of view. I mean, is it just people with these attachment styles or is it just, that seems to be across the board. Like if we work hard for something, we tend to value it more. Right. Uh, as opposed to if it's handed to us, there seems to just, it's, what is that? I don't, I mean, just from a psychological point of view, I'm sure psychologists discuss this kind of stuff all the time. Well, do you think that it's like that across the board or is it like that with just various different aspects of life? That's what I would wonder. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I, I tend to think it's across the board, mm. but, but that's just, you see, that's just, of course, I don't know how I can't speak for every one of the, whatever we have now, 8 billion people on the planet, but you know, there seems to be more and more of us popping up all the time, but uh, I, I see it in sometimes in myself, but I see it in my friends. I see it in people that it seems to be like, eh, you know, that was too simple or in the way that we judge people, for instance, mm-hmm. we might judge someone that's born very wealthy. Right. Mm-hmm. And think mm-hmm. that they don't have any challenges. 
mm-hmm. you know they're not uh, dealing with any of the other aspects of life that might we might f- find challenging but in fact of course they are right they're yes. dealing with challenges all the time but um it seems like we have maybe that's a social conditioning that we have this idea of well if you don't work hard for something if you don't push 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 mm-hmm. it's not it's not worth it right then if you sort of lose it it doesn't really mean much to you or whatever that idea is definitely working hard for something makes us value it a whole lot more um it that's such an interest that's such a good question uh i i can't i can't say though that um valuing something more because you worked hard for it means you have an anxious attachment style okay yeah that's what i was trying to find out if that's yeah. necess- if that is connected somehow that maybe the person with an action anxious attachment style also wants to sort of feel that it was worth it to chase that thing down a person oh, yeah. down that they feel like a winner they got the cookie they got the sticker and they could sort of pat themselves on the back and i find that a lot with people sometimes people i think especially with this community wants to manifest specific people yes. it's almost like a challenge for them like it's like do you really want to be with that person or is it the challenge of trying to get to with that person is, is it the winning aspect right yeah. And I think it's a little bit misplaced. So in relationships, relationships aren't meant to be that push pull. I mean, there's a little bit of that that keeps it kind of fun. And mm-hmm. even securely attached people have a little bit of a dynamic of push pull a little bit, yeah. just a bit. It's playful. It, yeah, playful. Exactly. And mm-hmm. sometimes one person is more into the other and sometimes the other person is more into the other and it ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And that's healthy. But the avoidant and the anxious and that dynamic is unhealthy and it's extremely painful. And I just want to touch on one quick thing you said with narcissism Mm -hmm. is um, you can't, you can't say that a narcissist is just an avoidant. Um, They've done studies that show that that is not the case. A narcissist can be an avoidant an anxious, a secure or disorganized. Ah. So the two aren't, correlated they're not bound together in any way okay so not every narcissist has is has a detached uh, uh detached attachment style i keep yeah. getting those confused but uh and not every <laughs> person insecure with attachment insecure attachment style uh-huh. is a narcissist either right so we can't say that they really but they might have some narcissistic tendencies yeah they might yeah a narcissist might very well have an insecure attachment style and vice versa yeah so the detached person is so it's not that they absolutely don't want to be in a relationship. They don't want to, that they absolutely don't want to have some kind of commitment. They're just afraid of it. That's really what it is, right? Yeah. And they don't really know how to do it. And they grew up learning that if they want comfort, they need to get it themselves because nobody's going to give it to them. Right. So they really have high value in what they're able to do for themselves. So it's not, it's not so much that they don't want someone else. They do want other people. And they actually have the same attachment needs as everybody else in the population. Mm-hmm. They've done studies to show, um, like they hooked them up to, you know, those like helmets with the neuro whatever's on them. And yeah. Yeah. And I'm picturing I'm, some horror movie from the fifties right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it sounds really, <laughs> yeah. But, um, They've done studies and avoidant attachment styles have just as much of a need for connection and attachment as Mm. the rest of the population. And they show physiological symptoms of, um, you know, being 
why is the word escaping me? <laughs> That's okay. They show, they show symptoms basically of needing attachment in the wow. same way that everybody else does. They're no different. They just don't verbalize it. They don't have the words for it. Mm-hmm. There's a disconnect, a disintegration that does not allow them to be able to ask for what they need. How do they express affection then for somebody? Now, now you got me thinking about that. Have we talked about this before? The love languages, mm-hmm. right? There was a woman who wrote a book some time ago that became very popular, but was it the five? Was it five love yep. languages? Yep. So for instance, somebody with a detached style, are they, you know, maybe they're not as verbal, right? Maybe they're mm-hmm. not as giving with their words. I love you or whatever it is mm-hmm. with somebody with ang- ang- anxious attachment would want that or need that, or maybe that's how they express Right. Mm. I was working with a woman who was, you know, and I'd worked with her a few times. So I noticed a pattern with her where she was interested in somebody and then she was trying to give them all these things. You know, they would maybe the person would say, I, I, you know, I have a bum foot or something like that. I can come over and take care of you and I can do, you know, that there's this sort of giving, there's the giving style, right. Mm-hmm. Of expressing love, but there's also giving it verbally, right. Mm-hmm. A lot of compliments and things like that. Mm-hmm. So somebody detached is, how they must have some one of the love languages. I can't think of what they all are right now. Service, right? Being of service to somebody. Uh, yeah, there's acts of service, words of affirmation, quality time, right. physical touch, and gifts. Would would any of those correlate with somebody with a detached, an avoidant attachment style? A, avoidant Def- attachment attachment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I knew what you meant. I'm sure your viewers <laughs> do too. Um, <laughs> So someone with an avoidant attachment style is going to gravitate more towards liking physical touch and mm-hmm. maybe gifts. Okay. They're not going to be as into the quality time or the acts of service or the, the words of affirmation. So they want the nookie and then buy them a beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We've solved the problem here, folks. <laughs> That's how you get your, your, <laughs> your detached uh, X back or specific person or whatever. <laughs> now, <laughs> just see real quick here who we got. Do we have anyone else in the live chat? We got Basia, who I think said hi and hello. So we're saying hello back. Do you have a question if you're still here or is anybody else here? And maybe I just can't see them because I'm looking at participants and I'm not seeing anybody. So uh, whatever people might pop in and out throughout. Um, mm-hmm. or it's the time of day. It doesn't really matter. We can just keep talking about this. Absolutely. It is interesting. Um, so I think, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep messing this up, Melissa, because for some reason my brain isn't working and I had this all figured out because I have the story open here, secure, avoidant, anxious, and disorganized. Okay. I'm going to get this right. One of these days, uh, somebody with an anxious style, Mm-hmm. attachment style and somebody with an avoidant attachment style. I think that oftentimes when we have people here, I want my SB, I want to manifest my, my uh, ex back that it tends, it seems to me that tends to be a sort of uh, that kind of dynamic between an anxious uh, uh, attachment style and an avoidant attachment style. So that the SP, the specific person or the ex is usually the, maybe the avoidant, right? Yes. Yeah. So from that perspective, right, because we always say to bring this back to manifesting and law of attraction is to not focus on them and not focus on changing them or trying to yeah. make them different, but changing yourself and your perspective yes. on the situation. Is that enough? I mean, 
you know, I, I know you're a psychologist, but you also believe in law of attraction and manifesting. How does that, yeah. how do those two things marry in your mind that where you go, well, there's the psychology science aspect of it. This is what I do. And it seems more mechanical somehow to me. Right. And then the less mechanical, more feeling oriented, more sort of, well, how do I bring a situation like this into being, right? How do you, how do you, for you uh, as a psychologist, how does that come together? How do we mold those, mold those things? Well, it's really is mirroring the law of assumption and the law of attraction in that if you become securely attached, you can pull your partner up into secure attachment. So if you have an anxious attachment style, if you can work towards coming more to the secure end of the spectrum, then you can affect your your specific person also coming towards the secure end of the spectrum, even if they're avoidant. Uh So Mm -hmm. it's influence, right? That's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because it makes them feel safety when you start to become more secure and you're not constantly questioning them and asking them and, and hassling them around, what are they doing? Who are they talking to? Where were you? Why aren't you calling all of that kind of stuff? When all of that gets released, they can breathe. And once they can breathe, they can then come into more secure attachment. They can start to, you know, think about and reflect on how they're showing up to the relationship and start to be like, well, maybe I could give a little bit more in this area and da, 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 da. It, it unfolds naturally. And because you're letting them make the decision to do that, there's no pressure mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what I was saying, what I've read many times over the years. And when I've also studied kind of relationship dynamics and things like this and, and relationship coaches that I've looked at too in the past, always say this, let it be the other person's idea as well. Because if you, like you said, if you're constantly on their case and hounding them, they don't have the room or the space to really make up their mind about you. Mm-hmm. Right. Firstly. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, they don't have time to miss you or think about you because yeah. you're always on their, on their ass. I'm going to say it. Right. And they're mm-hmm. like, get, it's like, you're like a gnat or a fly. Cause people do that. And probably those are the people with an action, anxious uh, attachment style. Right. Yeah. Cause they just think they're going to lose that person. And that's why I bring it back to the manifesting, even with money and things like that. If I don't do this right now, if I don't take this job, there'll be no other way for me to get money. Or if I don't, you know, if I follow my dreams, that's a difficult path, right? Or whatever it is, they need that validation, even through something like money, something like relationships, something like anything really, right? If they exercise a lot, I mean, that's good for you. You shouldn't stop doing that. But there are people who do that even excessively, right? Because they need that self-image. They need that external input all the time. If they look in the mirror, they want to see a certain thing, right? Or whatever it is. So, yeah. So through manifesting, you can, so it's influence, but then we talk about frequency too, right? So it's sort of like on an energetic level. (laughs) Mm, Absolutely. This is so. Uh, we are going to be emitting the frequency of securely attached of a securely attached partner. And then what we have going on in the inside, the world is going to reflect on the outside. So it really is just, it works perfectly. You can pretty much guarantee if you're a manifester, if you move into a secure attachment, you are going to get a securely attached partner. You have a higher chance as a manifester than you do as somebody who is not a manifester, but still knows about attachment theory. Why? Because you know how this thing works and because you know how it works, you're going to call it into you. Whereas somebody who doesn't necessarily know how manifesting works, they, they still have a high chance of bringing their partner into security, but 
if they're not understanding the nuts and bolts of manifesting, then they don't have that extra oomph to kind of get them over the finish line. Yeah. They're just kind of flailing around there in the water. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it is. Because some things seem to work. Some things don't seem to work. Why is that? And then it's, it's not until you understand kind of this, these are universal principles, right? I mean, it's, mm. you can apply this to any area of life and existence. You see it. I think even you see, you know, if, if you see it in, in animals, <laughs> I think yeah. children seem to have a natural ability to do this because I think that's our natural state. It's almost like we're born with this, but somehow it gets, I want to say beaten. I mean, it gets, you know, pushed out of us yeah. as we grow older and the world, you know, the physical world kind of takes over. Right. And we become yep. reactive to it rather than participatory yeah. or rather than saying, well, that is a re- reflection of my inner space, my inner state we see start to see ourselves as separate from it right yeah so oh, there's how do holly. you sorry <laughs> oh there's holly oh does she have a question she uh hi holly anxious attachment style here she says <laughs> <laughs> do you have any tips for creating secure attachment in a no contact situation there is some contact but we've both backed off a lot <laughs> she's laughing we've both backed off a lot she says so any tips for creating secure attachment in a no contact situation? Well, I'll let you take over, but it sounds like it doesn't matter if there's no contact because it really comes down to making yourself, right? It doesn't matter if there's no contact or not. That doesn't really have anything to do with it, except that it's going to be easier in a no contact situation because you're not constantly having your trigger come in and, um, yeah, be, be doing the thing that they do that triggers you to do the thing you do to get the whole dynamic going. So no contact is really a blessing in disguise when you want to start healing your attachment style. And the real test is once you get back into contact, can you maintain your healing? So I would recommend a couple of things. First of all, getting to know your own triggers, being able to feel those triggers in your body. And once you are able to identify them, so maybe a heaviness in the chest or maybe uh, something in the stomach, whatever it is, it's often in the chest or the stomach, you connect in with that physical sensation, breathe into it, let it know that you're there and speak gently to it. I know that sounds so weird to be talking to different parts of your body, but this is super self-soothing and it's evidence-based. So that means that they've done tons of studies on this method of self-soothing and regulating the nervous system. And they've come to the conclusion that they can call this an evidence-based technique. So going in and listening to those parts of your body that are, that are super activated and triggered is going to allow you to calm down, regulate, and that calming down and that regulation are the traits of somebody who is securely attached. So that's what you want to do is come into a regulated nervous system because that's how a securely attached person operates most of the time. Hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I hope that made sense to you, Holly. Uh, Let me ask you, so you said that usually... uh that usually is something that's felt in the stomach area. It's felt in the chest and the stomach quite, quite often. Is that where you feel it, Holly? I don't know if she's a, I think she's still here. When you feel anxious, which part of your body do you feel it in? If you can type that, uh, if you're still here listening, I think you are. Why wouldn't you be? But uh, it does make sense. She says mostly in my chest. Yeah. Yeah. 
So then she would speak to her chest soothingly. Yeah. So she just maybe put a hand on her chest, maybe close her eyes and take some nice deep breaths and just be like, Hey, I'm here. I see you. I feel you. What seems to be the problem? Mm -hmm. And then the chest is going to be like, well, he hasn't called and like, maybe we're never going to get back together. And if it's not him, then who's it going to be? And all the kind of things. Right. Mm -hmm. And just saying things to you. And so that this would be my next tip is speaking to yourself with a nurturing voice. So then saying things to yourself, like, you know what, it makes so much sense that you're upset about this relationship. Humans are built for connection. You are allowed to feel this way. And then leaving it there, not saying something like you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody, you That's can't a terrible tell them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone's telling you they're not okay. And then you're like, no, 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 you're going to be okay. It's just you're like, crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to make me feel <laughs> yeah. even more crazier. She also yeah. said, or I feel like I just need to run, <laughs> which uh, that's, that's panic. Isn't it? Is that like a panic mm -hmm. kind of reaction? It's it's a fight or flight reaction and it's part of the sympathetic nervous system. So um, we have different nervous system activations and she sounds like she's in her sympathetic a lot. Mm -hmm. And basically what you do with that is just feel it in the body and use the nurturing voice with it. That's okay. how I mostly approach it. Interesting. So um, this is often what's I think Susan Hayes, is that her name? who talks about self-talk, like mirror talk, right? When, when mm. we're also sort of, you know, practicing self-love and self-appreciation that she recommends doing that, speaking to yourself in the mirror, like, a, like you would a lover or a child mm. uh, from a parental nurturing, like you said, kind of standpoint. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you kind of really are going to be your own mother or your own parent or your own right coach or your own lover, right? Yeah, your own mother. So no. that's how you're going to be healing your attachment style is speaking to yourself in ways that maybe you've never been spoken to before. Or maybe you have. Maybe that is how your primary caregiver did speak to you. And like I said, you can get an insecure attachment style in adulthood. So maybe you've had someone speak to you in a nurturing voice. Maybe you haven't had that. But that is definitely a skill that you're going to be wanting to learn for yourself. And it's just so, so, so critical not to try to pump up that part and be like, you're awesome. You're gorgeous. You're beautiful. You can have anyone you want. That's not what the part wants to hear. The part just wants to hear, you know what? You're right. You, yeah. you have every right to feel that way. You are normal. That is how any human would react in this situation. You take the situation, you take these ingredients, of course you feel the way you feel. And guess what? I'm right here with you. I'm not going anywhere. Hmm. And that's the key. I'm here with you. I'm not going anywhere. You're allowed to feel how you want to feel. I'm not going anywhere. Hmm. And that's giving yourself permission to feel that way. And then and you're sort of saying it's okay. There's nothing wrong. Like you said, there's nothing wrong with me because probably people have anxiety and a lot of that, those issues right away think maybe they're told that in mm -hmm. their lives or in society, there's something wrong with me. I got to take medication. I'm crazy mm -hmm. to just be able to think, oh, this is fine. There's nothing wrong here. I'm mm -hmm. a human being. I'm having this experience. It's an emotionally charged experience. Mm -hmm. That's part of the package of being a human being, right? I mean, it's just why, why are these emotions any worse than feeling joy, elation, right? Um, which are also kind of very highly charged kind of emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Highly charged. That was the word I was looking for. Like, yes, highly charged electricity. We have the energy <laughs> yes. going. Holly says, 
Yes, that ties into my other question about shame at past trauma responses, things that I feel mm-hmm. I messed up my relationship with my specific person. She blames herself a lot for past relationship failure failures. I say that in air quotes because I don't see them as failures personally. But yeah, I was just going to say you can't mess <laughs> anything up. What about that? What about shame at you know, guilt, shame? People blame themselves. Do people with anxious attachment style tend to blame themselves for the failure of the relationship or for? Oh the yeah, absolutely. So with guilt and shame, you want to be working with those parts in a really loving way. You don't want to try to chase them away and try to do like cognitive techniques, like okay, write it out and then is this logical? It doesn't matter if it's logical or not. If you feel that way, it's just the truth. It's, it's the valid. truth of, yeah, it's how you feel. Mm-hmm. It's sorry. I'm not going to say it's like objective truth, mm-hmm. but it's valid. Like you said, it is, it's objectively valid. It's because you're feeling it. It's real. Yeah. 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 So with guilt and shame, just letting those parts say what they need to say and get it all out. They probably have a lot of unloading to do, but what about that time that I said this? It was so embarrassing. What about that time I said this? And then he reacted and told me he didn't want to talk to me anymore. You're allowed to get that all out. And then coming towards yourself and being like, it makes so much sense. You feel that way. Mm -hmm. And you're allowed to feel that way. And so again, just letting yourself feel those feelings. And then you show up for those feelings as the parent that you may have never had. And that's what you want to do is be really reparenting the guilt and the shame. Mm -hmm. Or you had the parent, or maybe they just didn't know how to really do that for you as a child. Some mm-hmm. parents don't, right? Maybe they mm-hmm. come. It's probably generational, isn't it? It gets passed down from generation Absolutely. to generation. Absolutely. We have another participant, Ginny Ray. Hi, Ginny. I am also anxious, and I feel it in my stomach. Yeah, so the, the stomach mm-hmm. and the chest is where it usually is at, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Speak to your stomach. Yes. Soothe your stomach. No. Yeah. Yeah. Go in and let it, let it say to you what it needs to say to you. And um, yeah, I know that can be, so I would just ask the participants who are on, does that seem like it's doable or does that seem too far out there, too weird, too hard? That's what I would, that's what I wonder. Cause when I'm in a session, yeah. When I'm in a a session with someone guiding them through it, it's super easy Mm -hmm. to get them to where they need to go. But me just telling them over, um, just kind of directing them. I wonder right. if it's as easy. Yeah. I wonder too, if you guys could, let's see, Holly says I've been doing it and it really works for releasing stuck emotions. So it's, Holly has a, has a good time with it or an easier time with it. Um, I don't know about Ginny, Ginny, maybe you can chime in if you are there. Um, does that seem weird to you to be, to speak to your stomach, soothe your stomach? I guess that's something that you're going to get used to if you do it often. Right. I and mean, it's like anything, mm-hmm. It's going to feel weird. It's like it's almost like the mirror talk. It's going to feel really weird to talk to yourself in the mirror like you yeah. would a friend or lover. But the more you do it, then it becomes like maybe even something you look forward to. Or it's, it's a because you're building a relationship with yourself, an actual yeah. conscious, aware relationship with yourself. You already have a relationship with yourself, but it's, most people aren't aware. They're not. It's not a conscious relationship. They don't. It's not a relationship they think about or nurture or try to maintain or try to somehow. Do you know what I mean? That makes sense. It's, yeah. it's so much in the head, right? Our, mm-hmm. our relationship with ourselves are so much in our head of like, what am I thinking? And it's all about story and thoughts. Right. Um, 
I was meditating, I think yesterday and I was noticing, I'm like, Oh, that's story. Oh, more story, story, Uh. story, story. (laughs) And it was just constant story. There was, it wasn't, um, a chance of, it was just a kind of an off day of meditation, but what you want to be getting to is that real present moment awareness. And when you're going into your body parts, into your heavy chest or into your stomach and saying, Hey, I see you. You're in that present moment awareness. You're coming out of story and you're moving into re- into the reality of what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is building that relationship. It's hard to build a relationship with yourself when you're constantly stuck in story that happened in the past and what you hope to have in the future. What's, what's one of the stories that popped up for you yesterday that, that you might be willing to share something? I mean, where do the stories come from? They come from experience, experiences we've had. They come from our parents telling us, was- school, our teacher. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I noticed, I was just thinking about random things. I noticed, I thought about my dog a lot. Your, your, your dog. Just, yeah. I was just <laughs> thinking of like dog food, dog walking dog, like so much dog stuff. I was like, what is with this like dog obsession today? It was like so much story. Um, but it can really be about anything about like relationships, what you've got going on at school or at work, the, the, the workload that you have do or mm. whatever, right? Any most of it. It is story. the world chiming in, kind of. It's like, oh, you think you're going to relax, huh? Yeah. How about this? How about the dog food? Is that a, <laughs> yeah. uh, you probably have you know ten pounds of dog food in the house, or you know maybe you have plenty of dog food. I'm like, is it healthy three enough? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's yeah. does he like it? I don't know if he likes it or not. Yeah. <laughs> way, how can I tell? Um, yeah, I, I, I still have that too. When I meditate and I go in and out with meditating, Holly, <laughs> Holly has to run real, has to run to a meeting, but thank you both for this. It helped. Thank you for coming in Holly and asking those questions. And, you know, I'm going to put, um, Melissa's website too, down in the, maybe you can say it real quick as well. Just in between yeah. it. It's attachmentrecovery.com. So just head over to attachment recovery, download the free PDF on attachment trauma, and it'll bring you to my calendar. If you want to set up a free 15 minute call with me to see if we are a match for your, for you to get coaching with me. Oh, that's nice. So free 15 minute call, like a free consultation. Excellent. Thanks, Holly. Have fun at your meeting. Um, Yeah. Even when I meditate too, and I don't Mm -hmm. do it as religiously as I should. But there are, you know, mornings that are tough. That's when my mind kind of, what do oh, I got in going the on? Morning. Yeah. So my girlfriend is just the opposite because she, mm-hmm. she sleeps late, but it's at night when I wind down. Right. And we don't live together, but she'll be texting me at like, you know, nine o'clock. So, hey, are we going to do that thing in two weeks? And I'm like, ah, I'm shut down now. You know, <laughs> planning yeah. thing right now. you should have gotten me at eight o'clock today. I didn't used to be a morning person, but now I think the older I've gotten, maybe I have more responsibilities or, you know, more that I take care of when you're a kid. Hopefully other people are taking care of your things mostly. But, you know, I yeah, the world kind of intrudes because my mind, my monkey mind is going, this needs to get done. You know, what are are you going to do about it? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do anything about that this second, this hot minute. Right. But what is that urgency? What is that like you with the dog food? Is that also an anxious kind of attachment style to life or something? Is that also sort of a, if I don't do something here or I don't move, I'm just sitting here doing nothing. There's also this kind of, we've been programmed to think doing nothing or that meditating or reading is doing nothing, right? That Yeah. uh, So let's talk a little bit about the nervous system for a quick second, if we can. Yeah, absolutely. So the nervous system has 
three main ways that it's going to be activated. So we have what's called a vagus nerve that runs from the base of our brain down to the base of our spine and it hits every major artery along the way. So it, it connects all of us. It's the, it's the biggest nerve that we have. Mm-hmm. When that vagus nerve is activated up top here, it's called a ventral activation. And that's when you're going to be feeling calm, connected, tuned into others. You're going to be able to really just be in the present moment. There's so many good things about that ventral activation up in that throat area. Hmm. Then you move down into the chest area and that's called the sympathetic activation. And that's going to be the fight or flight activation, which Hmm. we've been talking a lot about today. And then down lower at the base of the spine is called the dorsal activation. And that's kind of a down depressed checked out, pulling away that avoidant attachment, like we were talking about that dorsal activation. Mm -hmm. So thinking about random things like dog food, or what was the random thing you were thinking about? Uh, It was, uh, what was I thinking? (laughs) I can't remember a specific example that I was, I was thinking, but just when I try to meditate, all kinds of stuff starts coming into my head. What do I got to do today? What am I going to have for breakfast? You know, do I have enough milk in the fridge? Things like this, right? Yeah, just things to worry about. When yeah. we're just looking for things to worry about, like that's what was going on for me. Just looking for things like, is this okay? Is that okay? What like that is more of a sympathetic activation. Whereas when we get into a meditative state, we want to activate that ventral part, that real present moment, connected, aware, tuned in part, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So we want to kind of, so in situations like we're talking about in like meditation, we want to come away from maybe putting it into an attachment theory framework and putting it more into a nervous system framework. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But the two, there there are, so for instance, with Holly and Ginny here, when they say it's feel things in the stomach, that is a nervous system response, isn't it? Totally. There, it's all nervous system responses, except for that attachment theory is just kind of more of like, um a theory on like kind of traumas that happened in childhood and traumas that happened into adulthood. Whereas nervous system, everybody has a nervous system, whereas attachment theory, not everybody has an insecure attachment style. Right. I see. So the, the, the ventral nerve, I was just thinking about this in terms of meditating. When we think about, for instance, Buddhist monks meditating, there's that, Mm -hmm. the sound, right. That comes, I'm I'm drawing a blank on what that is like chanting. chanting right or yeah. or what is a mantra or whatever it tends to be here in the the throat or the throat singing kind of yes is that related as because well? it seems yes. to be calming and soothing when you do that oh that kind yep. of thing that seems yep. to be the same area as the ventral nerve right ventral absolutely yeah. that is an exercise that you can definitely do to activate that ventral nervous to get your ventral nervous system activated absolutely and what about the dorsal and the and then the sympathetic and the dorsal those are a mm-hmm. bit lower down. Is there something similar we can do? A vibrating kind of maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you do when you, everyone has a different meditating style, I suppose. I don't know if you listen to things or if you do like a humming or chanting or. Yeah. Humming, chanting, um, putting cold water on your face, cold plunges. These mm-hmm. are all ways that you can bring yourself into ventral. So you can use various types of breath work when you are. So if you're in a dorsal activation, you want to get a breath work going that is um, like a faster breathing style to bring energy into your body. Oh, yeah. 
when you're in a sympathetic activation, you've got a lot of energy already because you're in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So you want to do like more of like a calming breathing style, at like, like slow inhales, even slower exhales. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so you want to calm five. yourself down. You want to slow yourself down. That's the idea there. Yeah. So an inhale for five, hold for two, hold your breath for two seconds, exhale for 10 seconds. Hmm. And that's going to really help the sympathetic activation. Whereas um, like a dorsal activation more, I think, was that Jenny who had Uh, more of the stomach activation? Yep. Jenny. And she says very doable. I usually do keep breathing and self-talk to calm down. Yeah. And she was the one that has is anxious and feels it in her stomach. Yeah. Yeah. So if she's anxious, but feels it in her stomach, she could try the deep breathing of like that slowed down breathing, or she can try a a quicker breathing. This quicker breathing, by the way, if you're in sympathetic, it's not going to help. It's going to make it worse. So try the deep breathing first. If that means the faster breathing is not going to help. The Sorry. Yes. The faster breathing is not going to help when you're in sympathetic. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're in dorsal, you want to be doing like what's called like a pranayama deep breathing. That's from yoga. Uh-huh. Um, and that's kind of like a. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. I was, I'm always afraid I'm going to hyperventilate if I do that or I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really great for if you're like in a down depressed state. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, wow. That, that takes a lot of self-awareness too, to be able to say, oh, I'm here in this area. I'm in this area. I'm feeling more depressed. You know, a, lot of, a lot of people don't have a lot of self-awareness out there, unfortunately. It's true. And it's that true. may be a source of some, a lot of anxiety for people too. I think that they don't see themselves the way other people see themselves. For instance, yeah, maybe I'm switching track a little bit here, but just the idea of somebody with an, an anxious attachment style seeking validation is probably not realizing maybe that person even is into them more than they think they are or sees them as more attractive than they think they are, that they tend to view everything through the lens of, I'm not good enough, right? Mm -hmm. Why would anyone see me as a good enough kind of person? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's, I don't know where I was going with this. It just came into my head, but, you know, relating this back to anxiety too and and avoiding self-awareness, not saying that that is the avoidant attachment style, but just sort of do people with an anxious attachment style also tend to sort of put the responsibility for loving themselves on other people, but also blame other people for problems, for issues. There's a lot of that sort of, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, definitely when I worked with people with an anxious attachment style, they're stuck in the story. Yeah. So that story is all about what the other person did. And I mean, they they're so convinced that their story is what makes this situation what it is and it's not the story it's that you have a certain attachment style it's that your nervous system is activated in certain ways and once we can get those things figured out these stories don't matter that's why um when holly was asking about you know i've done some things and i i feel a lot of guilt and shame that's all story Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's a practiced story. Yeah. 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 And that's, yeah. you know, and when we go back to Abraham Hicks, that's always a thing. A belief is a practiced story. It's a practiced thought. It's a chronic thought that you have carry along for a long time and practice for a long time Yeah, until you start to believe it. Right. Yeah. Because is anything really objectively true? 
you know, pretty much most things are subjective, I think, personally. But I think that's the thing. If I keep repeating one idea about myself, "Ah, I'm I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. For years and years and years, maybe I've been told that. Some people might argue, well, you being told that as a reflection of you practicing that thought. I don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg here. But, you know, the point is that you're practicing that thought over and over again. You're going to believe it. That's going to be your story, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's why people say, oh, do affirmations to change the story. But it sounds like also what you were saying earlier is that doesn't really work, that you want to first calm things down a little bit, right? It's almost like slow down the train a little bit first and then maybe reintroduce the new idea, the new narrative, the new story. Yeah. So I, I was actually just talking about this, that when you start to do affirmations on something that is so unbelievable, all it's going to do is dysregulate your nervous system. Mm-hmm. And you can feel it. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, say you just broke up with your person today, uh, coming home and doing an affirmation. We're back. We're not broken up. We're not broken up. Or we're together. We're together. We're together. Mm-hmm. That's so opposite of what your reality is showing you that you're going to dysregulate your nervous system because you're gaslighting yourself. You're trying to gaslight yourself. That doesn't work. But saying something, saying something along the lines of like, I believe in the law and I know that we can get back together and it may not happen today, but it's definitely going to happen. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's happening for me right now because I'm changing the way I'm thinking about it. And I see myself as a person who's in a relationship with that person. Those types of affirmations, those are going to regulate the nervous system and those are going to get you to where you want to go. It's like easing into the water rather than just jumping into the cold water. (laughs) (laughs) Put my foot in first, sit there for a minute. But yeah, you're right. I think that's also a thing that we can relate. A lot of coaches and teachers about this stuff will also say, you know, uh, repeat affirmations that are in the moment more believable to you. Right? Mm -hmm. Don't say I'm I'm a multimillionaire. I'm going to win the lottery jackpot. Maybe say I can win a thousand dollars. In a, on a scratch off uh, this month or something, you know, uh, if that's something that's more believable to your mind, right? Like that's more attainable. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm a winner. Like people win this thing every day. Why wouldn't I be able to win it? I'm a manifester. I can do this. This is yeah. something that I don't need to have it happen today, but this is going to happen for me that I am a lottery winner at some point. Yeah. There's, every there's ways I'm to ease. Getting better yeah. and better and better. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Every day I'm more and more solid in, in my desired outcome. And I know the universe is a friendly universe. Those yeah. types of things. Absolutely. Wonderful. Um, do we have any more questions? I don't know. Holly left to go to a meeting. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to, let's see. I wanted to ask Ginny something if she's still here. When you feel that in your stomach, that anxiety, what precedes it usually? What kind of thought or incident or maybe it's, it's even influenced by environment sometimes, isn't it? Where you find sure. yourself in an environment. Maybe if, if you're still there, Jeannie, you can uh, answer that. Cause I'm just curious about it because sometimes, you know, it could be being in public. So there are a lot of people who have um, social anxiety, right. Uh, and they can feel that probably feel it in their stomach and their chest when they're out in public and they're feeling eh, mm-hmm. um, too many people around. I get that way in crowds. I don't have social anxiety. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in a very crowded place, a lot of yeah. people are jostling around me. I, ugh, I don't like it. Get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I need space around me physically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going into that sympathetic activation. That's, that's sympathetic. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting that you wake up in sympathetic. What do you think about that? Oh, is that what I'm doing? Okay. <laughs> that sounds nice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound nice. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't, it's not that I necessarily wake up with anxiety, I don't feel like, but I, okay. but there's a sense of urgency maybe <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and it's not all the time. It's like, okay, what do I got to do today? I don't that's know what that so is. So interesting. Yeah. Um, that's, that's interesting question. Actually, I haven't thought about that. And then what is it? Right. What is it that my girlfriend, she seems to have that at night. When she comes alive, right? That's so that I'll uh, just be honest with you. I, that's pretty normal at night. You yeah. know, you've had the whole uh, day to have things add up and turn out to be whatever it is that by the time it's nighttime, you're thinking about a million different things, right. but sleep usually wears off most of the stuff and then you only wake up with a couple of the things from the day before that were really that important it should right uh, uh, yeah it should theoretically i have a very anxious mother I, I don't know if that has you know what and she is to this day we talk about it a lot we talk we laugh about it but you know when i was a kid her mm-hmm. anxiousness about things like this scott has to very german kind of anxiousness we got to get there we got to get done because in Germany, you're you're late if you're on time, you know. Um, <laughs> if you're not ten <laughs> minutes early, you're late. But uh, you know, so there was a lot of you know, come here now. <laughs> I, but I imagine a lot of kids have that going on with their mothers or their fathers. You know, it's like, okay, come on now. <laughs> but uh, maybe there's some element of that going on. I think I picked up on a lot of her anxiety growing up. You know, for sure. I I made it my anxiety. And that's, yeah. and that's a thing that I often say to people, like you're, whatever you're anxious about or the things you worry about aren't often yours to begin with, or your beliefs about yourself or certain things aren't necessarily yours to begin with. And they're not even our parents. And like, how far does it go back? Nobody knows. Right. But yeah. Yeah. they probably come from that kind of, that kind of sense too. Cause my mother was raised in Germany. She was born during the war. Right. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother was very very catholic and my grandfather worked and in a factory and they had nine children wow. <laughs> during a time when you know things were very scarce and then after yeah. the war things were very scarce so there must have been a sense also of i don't know an- anxiety coming from that she was actually in a bombing raid as a as a baby there was a wow. bombing raid and the sirens went everyone ran in the bunkers she was sleeping in her pram in her uh, you know, baby carriage. And I think it was her grandmother who said to my grandmother, just leave her. She's sleeping. She'll be okay. And a bomb hit very nearby. There was a school near where they lived that got bombed. And all this kind of debris covered her. It all flew onto her. Now, it created a layer. She was fine underneath. She was covered in sort of dust. But there was glass and plaster and all kinds of stuff that had just sort of landed in just exactly that way that she was protected but i always thought that there was some kind of some kind of trauma from that and it was where she doesn't remember it she was maybe i don't know a few months old or something but uh there's this sort of you know because she has panic attacks and she has anxiety she's you know mm-hmm. she she's been she's been treated for that for decades but there's still that sense mm-hmm. of you know i wonder if that has something to do with it because our parents trauma can also become our trauma in a weird way, even though we didn't experience that trauma necessarily. Isn't that a thing? Yeah, it's called epigenetics. Epigenetics. And yeah, they actually, it's, they did a really interesting experiment 
where um, they took these mice who had no problems, no issues, no fears, and they bred them and they had the babies and the babies were all fine, good, no problems, no fears. Mm-hmm. Then they started making the parent mice scared of loud noises. Then they bred them again and their kids were scared of loud noises. Interesting. Whereas their kids prior, they were not scared of loud noises. That's probably an evolutionary tool, right? Because if, if one generation learns to be afraid of that thing, that animal, Mm -hmm. how do you pass that on? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that panic, that trauma serves its purpose too, doesn't it? For our yeah, survival, our generation. Absolutely. Survival. Oh, that's fantastic. And our nervous system is molded in utero. So oh. if your mom had, if she, your mom leans towards a sympathetic nervous system more often than not, then your nervous system would have evo- like developed in a more sympathetic state as well. Interesting. Yeah, my nervous system, when I have it, definitely is in the stomach and the bowel area. So (laughs) for sure, I don't get headaches. Some people get migraines or whatever when they're Mm -hmm. anxious or nervous. That's where usually where I have the issues when I have them, but um, that's so, so normal. That's an intake question that I ask my patients, like what's going on with your bowels. They're like, what? I'm like, I'm serious. (laughs) This is not the, is this the right office? (laughs) (laughs) What? Wait a minute. No, for Uh, real. (laughs) I need to know. (laughs) I have a, uh, here's Amanda. Hi, Amanda, by the way, Amanda McGrath. This is an SP question. What techniques do you recommend for manifesting a specific person? And how can I stop feeling doubtful? So that's definitely an anxious attachment style. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have been seeing him a lot, uh, my SP a lot. I don't know if it's a him or her. Uh, And then not at all. But then recently I saw him again at an event. At the event, he walked past me like he didn't know me with his girlfriend's son. So he has a girlfriend which caused me to be very doubtful afterwards. Well, I would say just on a very practical level, if he's there with his girlfriend or his girlfriend's son, he might not be wanting to be so obvious about somebody that is uh, maybe he's entangled with. Uh, But that sounds to me like, even if that wasn't a situation with the girlfriend's son, that sounds to me like that SP is probably a detached, uh, uh, avoidant avoidant attachment style. Thank you. I'm going to get this right one of these days. (laughs) (laughs) And Amanda sounds a lot like an anxious attachment style. Hard to say, hard to say, because we don't really know enough if they have a dynamic or not. I would be actually more curious to see how this man shows up in his current relationship to be able to say if he's avoidant or not. What I would wonder for Amanda is what is her self-worth like? What is going on inside? How do you feel about yourself? How do you relate to yourself? How do you talk to yourself? Mm-hmm. When you are present moment aware and you are super in the moment, what do you catch yourself saying to yourself? Mm-hmm. These would be the things that I would be paying tons of attention to. And I'd start writing them down, good or bad. Yeah. Keep a journal. Yeah. And it's so helpful. This is actually one of the kind of the tests that I use to see if I would be a good coach for someone to work with is we have our first 15 minute call. And then what I get them to do for homework is use present moment awareness to write down how they're talking to themselves and email it to me before our second call. So I can see if we're going to be a match to work together. 
Because if you can have that kind of present moment awareness to be writing down what you're saying to yourself, then you are somebody who's ready to be coached and you're ready to make the changes. But if you can't even get into the present moment long enough to write down what you're saying to yourself, then we're starting at a different place. And maybe I'm not the coach, but um, writing those things down and looking at the fact that those are affirmations, you're affirming that to yourself and you're probably doing it a lot more than you think you are. And the only reason you're catching it now is because you're doing present moment awareness. Mm -hmm. So I would be catching everything that you say to yourself. I'd be really looking at that relationship to self and, and evaluating what is that relationship to self looking like? We need to be getting a really loving relationship to self happening before you're going to be able to manifest this SP. That's first and foremost. So you yourself becoming your own secure base. That is the first, first step of getting you to where you want to be with this SP. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, yeah. And, and meditating is one of those things that can bring you into the present moment. And it's part of the idea as well, right. To into present awareness, because again, <laughs> if you're going, where's the dog food and this thing, then you're somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, you're worrying about the future potentially or the past in the present moment, and you're feeling it like it's happening in the present moment. That's kind of the, the essence of manifesting, isn't it? It's like living in the end of what you want is basically feeling it right now, right? Yeah. As if it was happening right now. But when we worry, we're doing exactly that same thing, aren't we? we yeah, mm -hmm. like you said, we're feeling that as if it's happening right now, right? We might be anticipating a terrible future event that's causing us anxiety we're feeling it like it's happening even though it hasn't happened right yeah it's not actually happening <laughs> yeah totally yeah yeah it's like when we replay bad things from our day in our head over and over again we're feeling it like it's happening it might be a five second incident maybe someone was rude to you but you're mm -hmm. playing it over and over in your mind getting angry and i should have said this and i should have said that but uh it's feeling it right then and there so that is basically what it comes down to that's what manifesting is isn't it Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What would you say to Amanda? I would say exactly that. And, and what you said is right on, I think. And that comes down to, I mean, so much of what you're saying from the psychologist perspective, I, I can see the correlation with say teachers like Abraham, right? Like the, the, uh, the emotional guidance scale of being really practicing, being uh, aware in the moment, right. Yeah. And catching yourself doing that. And I was, uh, tell people to maybe make a practice of checking in on themselves throughout the day. Maybe even set your watch, yes. right? Like every hour for just a so couple good. minutes. Go, how am I feeling right now? Whether you're at work or whatever you're doing, you know, and maybe you're feeling anxious. Well, what was I just thinking about? What was I just, so what was just going through my mind that's causing me to, because your emotions are responding to your thoughts, right? Yes. So, <clears throat> yeah. And that takes, and that's practice. The more you do that, the better at it you become. 100%. Jenny yeah, says it's usually triggered by things happening in 3D that don't align with my manifestation or that I assume don't align with it. So I, I think maybe she means that you're seeing, quote, evidence of things in your third dimension, in your physical reality that you think shouldn't be there because of what you want to be manifesting is what I'm guessing. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think I know what she means. I think that's sort of people are looking for evidence all the time of their manifestation coming together. And then when they see no evidence or they see the opposite of what they think is evidence of coming together, then it triggers them, right? And they go, oh, I'm doing it wrong. Oh no, it's not happening. Oh, it's the opposite. What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? 
there's a lot of that. What am I doing wrong? How do I do it right? How do I do it right? And it's sort of like, well, you first, you got to relax yeah, <laughs> and understand things play themselves out a certain way in physical reality. Yeah. I read the coolest story the other day. I don't know where it came from, but um, it was like based in the olden days. And uh, they said, so they, these people got a horse and then their horse ran away. So they are like, oh, we just spent all this money on a horse, but it ran away. Like this totally sucks. But the next day that horse came back with a bunch of wild horses. Uh. So now they have like all these horses. They didn't, they've got like more than just one, right? So they think their horse ran away. Their horse did not run away. It came back with wild horses. Cool. So <laughs> then they have a son who decides to ride one of these wild horses and he falls off and, you know, the horse bucks him off because he's a wild horse. And he breaks his leg anything. And this family is like, oh no, he broke his leg. Like it's the olden days, right? So a broken bone is a big deal. And then the government comes to their city and it's called, I guess they call it conscripts people into the war, but a a war with a guaranteed death because they were losing the war. And the son was not conscripted because he had a broken leg. So that saved his life. Yes. So all of these situations that can look so opposite, they're not. They're Absolutely. not always opposite. They, they might be lifesavers. And this is kind of how things often manifest. And if people think it should be a, a direct straight line from here to there, right? But mm-hmm. no. And I, this is so interesting. That's a great story because I always say this too. And I, I always related to the story of driving because I like to go on road trips and things and I use the GPS system. And, you know, when I've been stuck, you know, when I've been going on the freeway thinking, well, this is the route to where I'm going. This is the direct route. And suddenly the GPS says, get off at the next exit. I'm like, what are you crazy? No, if I don't, then right around the bend, there's a traffic jam that I didn't see and I didn't know about, right? Yeah. And it's trying to reroute me. Right. So often there's a rerouting that goes on. What you think is going against your manifestation might actually be the very thing that is leading you there. So Mm -hmm. that's where the trust process comes in. And I think a lot of anxiety also comes around when people try to control the process too much. And they think that that's what they're supposed to do because they've been conditioned to say, I have to manage every aspect of my life by myself. I have to figure out every problem on my own and that I'm the one here. No one's going to come and rescue me. But when we talk about manifesting, you have to switch your thinking there. You have to sort of become um, almost, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not inactive, not, uh, you know, not dormant, but your like in job. And yeah, well, your job is to imagine it and feel it. Mm-hmm. That's the signal you're sending to the actual manager, right? Mm-hmm. The universe could be your manager. That's the, hey, those are your people. Go take care of this. Sort this out, <laughs> right? It's like you're the CEO of the company that is your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're going, Hey, I've got these people on my board here. I've got these guys go make it happen. Here's the plan. Here's what I want you to go do. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're like a micromanager in your life, then that's going to probably cause a lot of anxiety when you're trying to get into manifesting because you're trying to micromanage every aspect of, of it all. And it's not really what we're supposed to be doing. I think it's yeah. a great story. Uh, AH is here. Abraham Hicks. <laughs> How can I <laughs> manifest how can I manifest my specific person initiating more quality time with me? There's going to be a lot of questions like, 
We talk every day, but he spends a lot of time with work. I only see him once a week, once or twice a week. We're not long distance. So this is probably someone you're in a relationship with, I'm imagining. Um, You just want your significant other to spend more time with you. That's what I'm guessing the question is. Um, Yeah. What do you think about that? Again, self-worth. So what do you think you're worth? Where, where are you at with how you feel about yourself? What kind of stories are you telling yourself when he doesn't spend time with you? That's what I'd be really curious about because it's those stories I bet that are making him not spend a whole lot of time with you because we are the creator of our own reality and whatever it is that we've got going inside is going to be shined out into the world around us. So it's a mirror. Yeah. So I would be wondering, how are you talking to yourself? How are you feeling about yourself? How are you soothing yourself when you're feeling down about this situation? Always taking it back inward, always going to that inner world and looking at what's going on there. What would you say? Yeah, exactly that. It's a mirror. And if you show up to the mirror with a frown and expect it to smile back at you, then you're, (laughs) that's not going to happen. Right. So if you're, if you're going out there while he's spending more time at work, that's more important to him than me, you know? That's the story you're telling yourself. That's how it's going to look to you. Whether mm-hmm. that's actually objectively true now from his perspective or not doesn't really matter because that's your story and that's how you're perceiving and feeling it. So that's all you're going to see, right? Because yeah. you're only on that frequency. If you slow down that frequency, you don't even have to jump to the other frequency. You just slow that train down first, right? This is another analogy I hear from Abraham. It's like, you're going 80 miles in one direction. You want to be going 80 miles in the other direction. You don't just switch directions. That can be too jarring. You want to slow that train down first, then start building momentum in the other direction. But first, calm yourself down, right? And just be like, it doesn't necessarily mean what I think it means, right? It doesn't mean he doesn't love me. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to spend quality time with me. And I would also ask, what is quality time? What does that look and feel like to you? Because that's different to anybody. But is quality time, I don't know. It could be anything, right? Is it, is it time alone? Is it time out in public, going out together? Is it time? I mean, these are things that, we often, I think, in relationships tend to put that burden on somebody else to do that. Mm-hmm. We are, you know, I want to go out. He won't go out with me. We'll go out anyway, right? Yeah. I want to sit home and watch movies. Well, watch a movie, whether he's there or not. And you can pretend he's there. You know, you can do that if that feels good. But don't wait for somebody else to come and give you permission to live your life either. So yeah. whenever I hear that, I'm well, not spending a lot of time with me. Well, I mean, um, you can do whatever you want. And what you're doing is you're opening up an invitation for people to join you on the awesome ride that that's already an awesome ride. That is your life, right? So if you make your life that fun and you make yourself, you become so comfortable and happy in your own company, then other people will be as well, right? Yeah. The thing about love languages too, because quality time is a love language, is that we all have our own love language. And oftentimes we get into relationships with people who have a different love language than us. Mm -hmm. So that might not be his love language. In that situation, I would be manifesting that his love language becomes quality time. Oh, interesting. Or what about also, I like that, but also what about trying to figure out what is his love, love language right because i think oh, for sure easily and I, I don't want to say selfish but i think that there's an element sometimes too with people in relationships where my needs right why isn't he meeting my needs 
what about his needs? Maybe his love language is something different. What, what does he do uh, when you guys, I mean, does he, call, does he text you a lot while he's uh, at work? And also people have to work, right? I don't know what he's, what kind of work he's doing. Maybe he's working at home a lot or whatever. It sounds like that she is thinking, or he, I'm sorry, is thinking that they're maybe making up work, <laughs> you know? Well, well, I I think people think, and that comes back to the story you're talking about, telling yourself a story. What is going through your mind while he's at work, where you feel that he should be spending quality time with you? What are you imagining he's doing? Do you, do you think, do you tell yourself, yes, he's at work and I'm not important enough for him? Or is he off? Is he telling me he's at work? Maybe you're suspicious, right? Because there's a lot, I think when we, we're obsessed thinking about somebody else and we're alone, our minds can run away with all these scenarios, right? And I think we tell ourselves all kinds of things about what could be going on. And he's probably just at work. I don't know if he has a boss or he has his own business going on, or he has clients, you know, he's going to have people. He's probably thinking about that, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe he's at work thinking, I wish I could be with her right now, but I got to do work. You know, maybe that's, that's what you're not seeing because you think maybe he's avoiding you by going to work. I don't know. Jenny says, I notice my anxiety happens most when things are going well. I get very anxious that they won't continue to go well or something will happen to get in the way. That's a big one, right? If you, things are going well and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You, there's like a, a sense of impending doom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jenny, I would definitely say to you to really cherish and relish those times that things are going well, because that's how you're going to get it more you're going to get more stuff, more of what you like. So that's where gratitude comes in. And I would wonder what is your gratitude practice like? Because a strong gratitude practice is going to bring to you more of the things that you want. So really being mindful. It's so awesome that you already know that, um, you start to feel anxious when things are going good. You're waiting for that other shoe to drop, but now the practice is really about, cherishing and relishing those times where things are going well starting a gratitude practice where you're noticing five things a day that you can write down in your gratitude journal really getting strong in that because you don't want to derail those amazing times you want to you want those times to really sink in you don't want to repel them yeah absolutely great um Mrs. Sardonicus, I have a specific person, but I can't help but feel he's way out of my league. Well, that that just comes down to you feeling not good enough, right? That's pretty basic. And you got to work on your self-worth there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, that's uh, Jeannie Ray says, yes. <laughs> A-H, I'm, uh, I meant going out on dates as quality time, but I should take myself on dates as well. Absolutely. That's, oh, yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. he's self-employed and meets with clients all day. Well, well, that's something he's got to have to do if he's self-employed. You know, he's gonna, he doesn't have a boss or a set a number of hours he has to go to work because he's not getting paid for his time by somebody else. He's building a business. He's going to have to spend time with his clients. But, you know, um, absolutely take yourself out on dates, right? And uh, Ms. Sardonicus as well, maybe learn to spend time with yourself. If If I think... If you feel like somebody's out of your league, that's also a story that you've practiced. And wherever the story comes from, maybe somebody told you that as a kid, maybe your parents, maybe your brother or sister, maybe, uh, you know, other kids bullied you, that, that kind of thing. But we believe those things when we're told them as children, right? But then when we keep 
practicing them over and over, it's like we've been talking about. It becomes um, solidified in your mind. It becomes a truth for you. It's not an actual truth, but to you, it's true. So that you can't see any other way that it could possibly be, right? I would ask what makes you feel like he's out of your league. And I ask that because that is what you're referring to yourself. And I'm curious about that. And maybe we can help you sort out affirmations that are going to get you going in the other direction with AH, She's the one that has the guy that is self-employed, right? Uh, that's AH. Yes. Okay. AH girl (laughs) he's self-employed he can text you during the day he certainly Uh, can and so you need to be affirming to yourself that you are a desirable beautiful woman that any man would be lucky to be in a relationship with and you need to be affirming these things constantly and believing them at first they may not feel believable but you can get to that point where you're affirming to yourself of course you want to be affirming eventually, like he's so in love with me. He, he thinks about me day and night. He's texting me all the time. He's texting me to the point where I, I'm not even sure I want this many text messages, that kind of thing, but affirm him doing those things after you have solidly affirmed. You are the type of woman who brings these things towards you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's, that's good for Miss Sardonicus as well. Right. I am desirable. I'm the kind of uh, person that guys are just after. I say this all the time. When you start to get in that, into that, they're going to come out of the wall like zombies. Um, you know, they're going to knock your door down. And, really, and then you're going to contact one of us and go, how do I get rid of these dudes? So uh, <laughs> Leanne Richer accompanied by the birthday bats. That's an interesting name. Howdy. I just manifested the out of my league thing. LOL. How did you do that? <laughs> Leanne Richer, accompanied by the birthday bats. Um, Ms. Sardonica says, I feel like he's out of my league due to being attractive, successful, and popular. Well, what about you? Why do you think you're not uh, attractive, successful, and popular? Right? Yeah, that's what I would wonder. So where is your levels of feeling attractive, feeling successful, and feeling popular? Where do you feel you're at with those things? Because that's really the problem, is that you don't feel you are good enough in those areas. Yeah, that's it. And why not put, so right after that, Leanne Richard said, it's natural for me to put, to be on the pedestal. So you put yourself on that pedestal, right? Take them off the pedestal and put yourself on the pedestal. That's what I call rock star syndrome. Like it's uh, you see them as a rock star, right? Yes. That's when you sort of see them outside of your league. You see them as something up there, unattainable, maybe even godly, right? Maybe even some weird deity. That's the rock star syndrome, right? The rock star stands up there on stage doesn't really move, doesn't retreat and doesn't pursue, right? Mm. Which has a very sort of deity kind of, uh, what's, what's the word when you, ancient people worship the, uh, what's, the, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, like a, like a, a, an, an idol, right? Yeah. That's the yeah. Word. Of course, an idol. So yeah. uh, make the, take them off that damn pedestal. I always say that. Put yourself up there. Doesn't mean you have mm. to feel that you're better than other people, but you need to be better than, the version of yourself that you're entertaining right now, right? Of how you're yeah. seeing yourself right now. Become yeah. your own rock star, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. This, we've been doing this for a while now. Almost an hour. Rock star syndrome, says Anne Richard, can pick through the crowd who they want. Not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Next time we do this, Leanne Richard, come in and tell us more about how, how you got there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think we're running out. I'm running out of water. 
and my voice is getting sore. Horse, okay. <laughs> uh, a little horse inside my throat. This is great. Uh, this you don't have so a YouTube fun. channel, do you, Melissa? You, sh- you need a YouTube channel. <laughs> I do. I I haven't really put any effort into posting anything. Um, I, you know, mm. I had high hopes, and then I. <laughs> well, you, you're running a, a successful uh, business, coaching psychology yeah, business, <laughs> coaching business, and uh, private practice. So I yeah. do. I I'm kind of uh, at my max with um, with that, but I do actually want to put a lot more effort into helping more people, less less focused one on one, and more generalized so yeah why why do you say that oh could we do like uh well, because you're good at this <laughs> oh okay i was thinking like maybe we could do one where we're both where we're both live streaming on our channel absolutely we there's got to be a way to do that um yeah yeah i don't i don't know how that works i've i've we're actually doing pretty good today this is the first time we're doing this for zoom so everything seemed to go very well yeah. um yeah that's the next thing we should be looking into we could do like a or it could be a podcast right like like so a fun. yeah like a, this could be a regular podcast. Uh, yes. Miss Sardonica says thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for coming in, Leanne Richard. I'll watch for you first time here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Please subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Paige, thank you both. Please do more of these. Absolutely. See now we've got confirmation. So do more of these. Okay. A podcast would be fun, and then we could bring in like a third or fourth guest. Um, you know, other experts to chime in because I like that idea very much. Amanda that McGrath, thank so you both. Yeah, thank you everybody for showing up today. Yeah, thank you thank guys you for your time as well. Please do this more. So fun. Okay. <laughs> well, we're getting good good responses here. Please do more. We will do more. Absolutely. Okay. So that's, it. that's we will do it for you. Guys. I'm into Excellent. it. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Now, Melissa, I don't know if I stop if this is going to stop us chatting, but uh, I'm going to actually I have to first figure out how to do this. Okay, end. It says end right there. Okay. Uh, wait a minute, one more. Try to do same day time. It helps people find you. Oh, okay. So one mm. thirty p.m. Um, Pacific on time on a Tuesday. Okay, we will try to yeah. do that. I will be traveling this winter for a couple months. I'll be in Europe. Um, we'll see how that works then. But uh, that's not until November. Um, but we'll figure all that out. Because you're you're on the east coast of Canada. Um, I'm in Alberta, right above Montana. So I'm mountain standard time. Okay. So you're probably like Europe. I don't, we'll figure it out. Six, seven hours or something like that. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Okay, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thanks for the this. This was feedback. so fun. This was a lot of fun. So yes. thank you also. Oh, uh, Leanne Richards also in Alberta. You know, guys, give, give a call, give a call to, uh, Melissa. She does free 15 minute consultations. Yeah, just uh, head over to attachmentrecovery.com. That's the one. She's in Edmonton. Okay, good. Oh, so maybe you can actually go see Melissa, perhaps even. So <laughs> you do well, remote. I don't do in person anymore. Oh, you don't do that anymore. So it's re- yeah. it'll be remote. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, you'll be in the same time zone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much. I'm going to sign off now. Till next Thank time. You. Thank you, Melissa. All right. Bye bye, everyone. Bye. If you're interested in coaching with Tarkon, head over to manifestationlab.com forward slash services. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time. Happy manifesting.